Hello, podcast listeners. You are listening to another episode of The Long Journey Home, and I am your host, Corbin Johnson. I was listening to a podcast called Planet Money. I guess it's also an NPR show of some sort. And they were talking about a really interesting topic, and I realized immediately that it applies to first edition and second edition in some way. And I've talked about it before, but I've never had such a succinct way of thinking about this particular um, aspect of the game. So they just did an episode on something called arbitrage, and that is when you figure out something in a market, and that thing you figured out is basically a way to make free money. They used this example of some guy selling textbooks at a low price and selling them at a high price, all because it seemed no one else had seemed to figure out this particular fish hole, if you will, where there are these textbooks available in the fall or in the summer, and then you sell them in the spring or in the fall or whatever, and they track the prices. And But you, you get the idea. First edition, I think about this a lot as... Uh, well, and second edition, too. The games are so big that over time, we, we create new cards, and there's no way that because because these decks have 60 or 100 cards in them, or even more, or sometimes less, just the sheer... I mean, if you wanted to make a ultra... an ultra-liberal estimation of the combination of cards possible, then you would take, you know, you have this library of, what, 2,000 cards, and then you put 60 of them in a deck, so it's, what, the... the the total possible deck combinations are astronomical. They're, um, they're a number so large that, I don't know, whatever, 2,000 factorial um, minus, or times whatever, 2,000 factorial minus, um, not minus, but, yeah, I guess it's minus uh, 1960 uh, factorial or 1940 factorial, something like that. Um, I'm not really great at the maths, but, you know. Anyway, it's a huge, huge number. And that's obviously, you know, going way beyond. I mean, there's no way you know, anyone's going to build a deck um, that could contain any particular combination. But you could, you know, do some rough calculation and come up with, you know, a, a huge number of possible decks that exist. Um, but my point being that there are cards that exist, that, that must exist, that that are just so broken or enable some combo that's so broken that no one's thought of it and someone's going to think of it. And isn't that what we're... Some of us are playing this game to do. Some of us are still looking for those that little fishel, that little deck that no one's thought about before or someone's thought about but didn't bring it to a tournament. And it's so amazing that you're going to totally... Com- completely uh, obliterate everyone. And 1E has had this problem for three years, I think, uh, since the Mon-Elf deck, and even before then. These terrible combos that would people would come up with, and no one had thought of them, no one was prepared for them, and they'd win worlds, because they someone put it in their back pocket, and then boom, this deck comes out of nowhere. So, there it is, right? There must exist... Now, Tui's a lot better about this. Um, you look at the decks that have won Worlds for the last, you know, whatever, 
And they're not uber broken, junky things. You know, Relativity hasn't won Worlds yet, even though everyone says it's broken. Um, and yeah, you, you tend to find things like Maquis decks that are just highly competitive but not necessarily broken. They definitely have weaknesses that can be fleshed out if you've brought the right cards or even if you're playing the right way or you had the right dilemma in your, in your deck. So, yeah, Tui's a little better at this. I'd say it's actually much better at this. Um, and to some degree, it's because there are so many players and there's a lot of data. Because more people play, there's more tournament reports, there's more decks, and development has a better chance to fix big problems and errata problems in the game. And in first edition, there's less players, but there's just as much... There's, there's much more cheese, we know that. It's That's just what one is. And people will find these, these holes. They'll find these amazing combos, and that's just the way it is. So I have a little mantra I, when I think about first edition. I say, first edition is about getting something for a very little or nothing. It's so true. It's, it, you, you, you want to minimize your number of non-dilemma seeds to some degree, uh, and then maximize the number of free plays and draws you can get. Uh, people and development have the, the mantra of, you know, play 3-4, draw 3-4, and you can usually spend about 12 seeds to do it. If you spend 18 seeds, you can bump that number up significantly to probably 5 or 6, depending upon just how crazy a deck you want to come up with. But then you have only have 12 dilemmas. So there's this inherent trade-off in 1E. But uh, at the same time, it's very it's it's not hard to break the 3-4 curve. You just put in six more seeds or seven or eight more seeds. Sometimes you can get away with three or four more seeds and you can pull off a five or a six. And yeah, you're getting a lot of guys out and you're able to attempt missions and that sort of thing. And, and Delta's fairly good at being able to do 3-4 and play three and draw three. But they also have the ability to download more guys very quickly. So if you're not playing with general quarters, then boom, they're off to the races and they may have uh, been able to get through one, two, or even three dilemmas on the first or second turn. And all of a sudden you're scrambling to catch up and it's just like, oh my God. So yeah, and this is this is first edition though. It's all about getting something for nothing. It's And, and bonus points, you kind of think about it in the same way too. You can fairly easily get 20 points with Dr. Soren and the Nexus. It's not a it's not a, a slam dunk, but if you plan it right, there's probably a fairly good way to pull it off somewhat consistently. There's other ways to get bonus points. Uh, Dabo's pretty consistent, and uh, you can self-seed dilemmas, uh, well-placed Scytherians uh, with the right ship. That's 15 points. That's pretty easy to get. So bonus points are, and, and there's AMS, of course, and you can play that right and probably get 25 uh, additional bonus points at a mission attempt. So you've got all these ways to try to kind of maximize your ability to get points, to draw cards, to play people, and even uh, Parallax Arguers, you can play events, and some events get you more card draws, and you can do weird decks like that too. So the point is, there is 
a lot of well-explored territory in both games where you can make good decks. And then if you're willing to invest the time to investigate cards that aren't as well played or are misunderstood, you should be able to figure out fairly compelling ways to make very, very broken decks. And first edition with Worlds being one with Monelve. Uh, I remember Franklin Kenter when he won his second Worlds. He went with some weird Devella or Dinesh or one of the slave girls mixed with the Genesis effect. And he was able to just get through any dilemma he wanted to at any given time. And that's the kind of stuff that's, uh, you know, when you can't playtest enough or when Decipher says, oh, we're going to make this Genesis thing and we're going to playtest it a little bit and let people think about it a little bit. But then uh, good players, they get out the cards from what you leave behind, mix it with Genesis, and boom, you've got this crazy broken deck that's just going to trounce through anyone who doesn't have anything uh, fairly competitive. So, uh, so there it is. It, I love 1E because there is this cheese around still. I mean, Lost World Stability was around for years, and only now has it become a problem because people are like, well, docking procedures is um, so-so, we don't have Temporal Rift anymore, can't use the time travel pod, but I'd still like to stall my opponent out if I can, because I've got a slower deck, but I can draw cards like a mofo. Uh, that's a, like a crazy person, sorry. All right, anyway, and so, okay, so you've got Lost World Stability, if they're hanging around at a planet, well, sucks to be you. And then you look at what has gotten with the starship and other people, you know, that's not a slam dunk, but it is another card. It's like, well, yeah, I could download a ship. I could download 10 points. I could download a TOS guy with this interrupt because you could download the Phoenix or the Starship Enterprise or the ISS Enterprise. I can download James T. Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk with a, with a uh, Tantalus field and I could come kill your guys. Uh, because I get to play Nerupt, or you can just hang out this turn, and I'll get to play the next turn. And yes, those cards, they, you could counter and say, oh, they, they encourage you to play with multiple ships, to send two or three ships, to have ships inside of ships, and that sort of thing. Um, especially a loss of world stability. You can only target one ship with that, and it just can't move. It's not stopped. With what does guiding with a starship, you could stop the mothership if all, if all of your guys are on it, or maybe you separate all your guys meticulously. You know, these three guys are hanging out on the Delta Flyer, and these three guys are on this shuttlecraft, and these other four guys are on Voyager. And so you move, and then, oh, uh, well, I guess, I don't know if you can, un I don't know if you can launch a ship, launch an unstopped ship from a stopped ship. Anyway, not a big deal, who cares? Uh, but yes, there's all this craziness, um, so people keep digging, right? You keep banning things. You ban Zephyrin Cochran's telescope, or you ban you ban Scan, then you ban uh, Zephyrin, Topper, Zephyrin Cochran's telescope because you want ways to look at cards. And then we're like, well, ocular implants is fine though, but you know now you've got this way to play Jordy relatively easily, and he's a much more powerful card. So Enterprise E, if you're not playing with the ocular implants, you're doing something wrong. So the game evolves. Sure, that's one way to say it. Um, but as it evolves, players tend to look through the back catalog and go, oh, uh, maybe it's time to reconsider, time to reconsider, right? Ha, ah, that was funny, right? Eh, it's funny, okay. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> you keep looking at these cards and you come up with things, and there's a lot of terrible cards that didn't 
see a lot of play just because they weren't any good. And you think about things like uh, um, that card that lets you revive a guy for a turn from Deep Space Nine that interrupt. Uh, I think it's invasive procedures or something like that. Or you... Oh, no, that's a dilemma. But anyway, uh, you start to think about, well, all these other cards are banned or neutered, and uh, I'd still like an, an advantage over my opponent, or my meta is heavy on uh, leaving ships of planets, so I'm going to start playing Lost World Stability, or that sort of thing. Uh, or you're like, oh, my meta's too heavy on uh, Lost World Stability, I'm going to start playing with the uh, Iconian Gateway so that I don't have to play with ships. So, haha, uh, you can't stop me with your terrible card. I even had a... <laughs> I won't mention the card he found, but someone in my local playgroup thinks he's found a way to get around lots of orbital stability in a, uh, shall we say, unconventional way. Um, so, <sighs> you are always searching through these cards. You're, you're looking for something for very little or nothing. Yeah, you can throw in more personnel, but you still have to pay for them. Yeah, you can throw in more ships, but you still got to pay for them. There are ways to play them for free, of course, but um, yeah, the, the, the fun is in finding things that are outside of the convention, outside of the norm. And Another fun thing is if design can encourage old cards to be played or make old cards that aren't that good more powerful. That's fun too, but it's kind of outside the scope of this discussion. Although this discussion has gotten way out of scope. But anyway, it's, it's very cool to think about trying to find those little holes that affiliation no one plays with. Uh, it's usually not an affiliation, though. It's usually more like... Um, it's usually more about figuring out those cards that give you something that you couldn't use or didn't have or something like that. And it's very exciting. Um, it's one reason we love this game and we love 1E and 2E. And triples, I'm sure there's, I don't know, I think um, I think the design space for uh, deck design right now in triples is a little less than that exciting, but it's only because we haven't had a new set in two years, so we're almost two years now, year and a half, which is fine. And I don't care. Um, people still play. They love the game. They love their decks. Everyone has their favorite deck, and they're going to play it and have some fun, and or they're just going to go achievement hunting, and that's fine too. So yeah, uh, we should be excited that we get to play a game where you can still find weird little niches, and at the same time, once it's found, it can be responded to. So huzzah for the ability to have broken decks but huzzah that they can be respected and answered and taken care of at the same time. And you see, I think the trend is that less and less you find these weird cards over time. Hopefully that's the trend. Um, but at the same time, yes, I'm saying it's fun to have these broken decks, but at the same time I'm saying it's tough to have these broken decks, and it's something that you do have to keep in check. So let us continue to find the right balance in the game to find the place where it's okay to have a little bit of fun a little bit of tension at finding these angry cards but make sure that we are working to fix it at the same time will it ever be fixed do we ever want it to be fixed no i don't think we ever want it to be completely fixed because if we did then the idea of getting something for nothing, maybe it becomes a little more structured. Maybe it's 
you know, cards like Continuing Mission where you go, okay, well, we'll give you something for nothing, but we're really going to spell it out for you. And Tui does a fairly good job of this. Fairly. Um, Tui doesn't give you a lot of something for nothing, though. Tui is uh, not about having four or eight or twelve cards at the beginning that say, here you go, you can play these guys for free. You get your headquarters and you build around it. You've got Relativity. Relativity is your one place where you kind of can have some fun with something for nothing. And that's fun. And, and it exists, and it's, I have to say, fairly well balanced. And that's good. Other than that, uh, yeah, the Bajorans are starting to play in this territory a little bit with Accession, Ascension, whatever, and some of the other cards that came out in Return to Grace. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really kind of a one-y thing. You want... You can add more structure to it, I suppose. My, my problems with Continuing Mission are more that it restricts the kind of decks you play, the kind of deck you can play with it, instead of being more free-flowing and more like, you can throw this in any deck you want, but, you know, it's just not as good as if you played it in these certain decks. It heavy-handedly does that, instead of doing, doing that in a less obvious, more... Um, not a transparent way so uh, and it is what it is but yeah so we can do more structured things we can add more cards that give you something for nothing we'll always give you more free play engines we'll always give you more ways to draw I think that's I think that's fairly clear Um, starting over was an interesting card yeah there's a way you can draw more cards but I I wouldn't want to play with it it's just not it's not as good as Handshake. It's not as good as Kivas Fajr Collector. It's different, and it's an option, and that's fine. Options are good. I like options, but I'm not going to play with it. Uh, that's just me. But some play, player may play with it. So, and and we've seen in Tui, cards like Lineage, or cards like the, was it Improper, or the the card that's like, uh, if you have two cards in hand or three cards in hand, you can discard them to draw seven or something. And that's not it. But that's, I know it sounds like handshake, but there was some card that was kind of like that in Tui that came out a couple sets ago. And then you've got the one that kind of helps uh, Relativity out, the Admiral's Orders or the Launch Orders, or I think it's Launch Orders. And that's a weird card too, but it's an option. It's a tool, and I like tools. Tools are good. So you're going to see more cards like that that aren't going to give you something for nothing. They're going to give you something for something, something for a little less, but not something for nothing. So, and that's fine. But we have this huge catalog in 1E of cards that do do that and probably mistakenly do that. And I think even Pokemon and and Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic to some degree probably. They're, I mean, Black Lotus, I mean, obviously, is, is the prime example of this. But there has got to be cards that do unintentional things unintentionally and we'll find them and you have fun with them and now i'm just babbling on repeating my same points over and over again so thank you for listening today if you have questions comments or concerns you can always give me a phone call leave a voicemail at 267 call cpj and if you leave me a voicemail we may use your voicemail on a future episode of the long journey home uh we also have uh, email corbinjohnson at me.com and of course you can always PM me on the message boards at corbinq27 at yahoo or it's just corbinq27 uh, on the message boards until next time Corbin Johnson signing off saying so long and thanks for all the trek <laughs>